Welcome to Fick Focus, where Bloomberg Intelligence fixed income, credit currency, and commodity strategists and analysts discuss their short and long-term views on debt markets and issuers. Now, here's the Bloomberg Intelligence Fick Research Team. It's May 23rd. Spreads are wider. Rates are higher. Credit returns are deep in the red. And the size of my punished PA suggests... I need to work for another 25 years before retiring. I'm Rob Schiffman, and welcome to this month's Bloomberg Intelligence Credit Chat Podcast. I'm beyond excited today to have one of the sharpest minds in credit joining us. Van Hasser is both an old friend and former colleague. Today, he's dominating as a senior managing director and chief strategist at Kroll Bond Rating Agency. He's a major competitor of mine as the host and creator of KBRA's weekly podcast, Three Things in Credit so no one better to learn from than him. Over an amazing 30-year career, he's led KBRA's financial institutions and corporate's credit ratings group. He was the global head of credit research at HSBC, and he sat beside me at Credit Suisse, uh, where he was an institutional investor ranked star across multiple sectors. And oh yeah, by the way, he's got an MBA from Yale. Not too shabby. How are you, Van? Great to be here, Rob. Nice to see you. I don't know if I'm going to be able to keep up with you today, but there's so much stuff going on in the market. I figured like we just go over a little bit of everything and see if we can make sense of these crazy markets for people. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. We do live in interesting times. It sure beats from an analytical perspective, having to uh, describe what happened uh, or what happens in very tight credit spread environments. This is very different. Yeah, certainly the old folks like us always like to talk about, hey, the youngsters have only seen like markets go up and spreads go tighter. So, you know, what do you do when uh, when things go wider? Why don't we start big picture? And we've seen historic moves in, in, in markets this year across the board, whether it's 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 high yield, IG, equity markets, commodities. Just just give us your big picture perspective on what's going on. What sort of volatility is the world anticipating from, from the broadest perspective possible? You know, what are these markets telling us? Sure. So, you know, I think we, we all realize that, you know, all of the extraordinary fiscal stimulus and monetary accommodation that was part of the pandemic policy response was going to end at some point. I think the Fed and certainly markets were expecting a longer glide path. Think of it from 2021 to 2022 to 23. GDP growth was expected to slow from sort of 6% to 4% to 2%, something we called the great deceleration. It seems like that glide path expected over two years has happened in four months, right? And so where are we today? Well, you know, as you mentioned, rates are higher right? But not high, right? The 10-year out to 280, it's kind of uh, just inside of its 20-year average. Um, Stocks are lower, but not low, right? Forward PE 17 times, that's kind of right on its long-term average. And credit spreads, definitely wider, but not wide, right? IG, 149 basis points versus that, or again, on top of its 20-year average, high yield a bit inside that long-term average, 482 versus 515. So we've kind of all gotten back to normal in, again, a very accelerated time frame. And now it's all kind of about what's, what lies in front of us. What are the risks in front of us? Well, this is normal. I'm a little bit afraid to ask what is abnormal. (laughs) Uh, Um, in, In terms of the economy slowing down, um, you know, we're seeing lots of conversations about 
recession and recession probabilities. Can you give us your view on probability of recession over the next 12, 18 months? And, and does it even matter to credit whether or not uh, you know, GDP goes negative for a couple quarters? Well, I think it, it does matter, right? So it's all about default rates. And the other thing that is kind of normalized here is default expectations. Our own KBRA Altman forecast uh, is for the high yield default rate to hit 265 in 12 months, and that's towards the long-term average uh, of 3%. So, you know, we're always in credit on the lookout for um, economic downturns. They do matter. Now, as you mentioned, those, those probabilities have jumped from really structurally low levels, call it 10%, uh, at the beginning of the year, and they're now back out to 30%. Um, so clearly the risks are starting to mount that this great deceleration uh, and the uncertainty that surrounds it uh, is going to test convention, uh, whether it's, it's what investors are expecting into a downturn, how business managers uh, manage their businesses into this downturn, and, and how the almighty U.S. consumer is going to spend when he just doesn't feel as good about uh, his lot in life as he did certainly four or five months ago. So there's a lot of risk coming here. Those are the kinds of risks that, that certainly matter to credit. And as we talked about, spreads have kind of uh, widened out to reflect that reality. And now we'll see what the future sort of holds and how and whether that will you know put additional pressure on the asset class. You know, what? What, what do you think non-normal is? If you think we're sort of back to normal, you know, does, does the IG index have 25 beeps of downside, 100 beeps of downside, 250 beeps of downside? How do you sort of get your hands around that? And what, what are you telling investors today? Yeah, so I think you've got you've to think through what the downside sort of looks like here. So if we were, if we take, go back to the GFC, Right. All of a sudden you've got and we understand all the risks now with 2020 hindsight that were present in that particular era. You had a financial system that was crippled. You had a consumer that was over levered. Uh, it implied that that downturn could be sharp and that that recovery could be long. The interesting thing about this particular period we find ourselves in is that, you know, businesses and consumers remain in really good shape for the most part, all things considered, right? So we've, we've both businesses and consumers have benefited greatly from all of that, that stimulus fueled relief that uh, the government, uh, you know, chose as its policy response over the last couple of years. And so it enters this downturn well positioned to absorb, you know, whatever's going to happen here. Um, and so, you know, we actually feel like we are probably headed for a downturn, call it 12 to 18 months from now. But we think that downturn will be relatively short and relatively shallow. Um, so, again, it's a big contrast to where we were in the most recent uh, meaningful downturn back to the GFC. Uh, and I think that's very important, uh, you know, in, for investors to think about when they think about how much additional widening could actually take place. So, Back to your scenarios, we think that they're, you know, you're you're looking at 25 basis points uh, in IG of additional sort of spread widening, uh, and then high yield again a similar sort of proportional move out um, as sort of a base case. Now, to be clear, there's an awful lot of uncertainty still out there 
this is going to be data driven, just like everything else that we do. And so we will take stock of where we are, I think, let's say towards the end of this year, as we look ahead to 23, you know, we've characterized 22 as really a year of transition into this great deceleration. We'll know a whole lot more about uh, the length and depth of what's possible from a downturn perspective, I think, when we get towards the end of this year. Sure. And, you know, every week you talk about the, the three things important to credit. From from big picture, like, how, how are investors supposed to navigate geopolitical risks? I mean, so, so much of what's going on is the world of uncertainty. Um, you know, what's important to you on, on that front? And what are the top the top three things that people might need to worry about from a geopolitical perspective? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. We've, you know, we, we were introduced or reintroduced to some of those risks back in 2019 as the U.S. relationship with China on so many levels um, started to impact markets. <clears throat> and then all of a sudden, we find ourselves in a pandemic. And interestingly, a lot of those geopolitical concerns got pushed to the back burner for obvious reasons. Um, as we sort of come out of this, you know, we, we think about it in a couple of ways. One, we're reminded, and the pandemic was, was sort of a confirmation of this, that geopolitical events in and of themselves generally don't move risk markets um, all that much. Um, in credit, you really have to have a material um, increase in default probabilities, whether wherever you are in the asset class, to really start to move sentiment. And now in the case of, of Russia, Ukraine, right, it did add to the existing narrative of that great deceleration, right? Slower growth and higher inflation and greater uncertainty. So you can see where the, some elements uh, of that particular story started to flow into risk markets. But let's not overstate things. Um, but to answer your question, the three things that we probably do focus the most on going forward in the geopolitical sphere is um, an energy spike. So we think about Russia, Ukraine, I think the worst case scenarios there, let's hope they stay in the tail. Uh, That's where they are now. But what's moved out of the tail related to that is the rise in commodity prices and energy and energy spike in particular is something that we pay close attention to because that will have very real ramifications for European growth in particular and spillover effects into the U.S. Um, we do worry about that European recession, uh, that those probabilities are higher than the states. Um, and so we'll keep an eye on that. And then we still are very concerned, as we have been for a long time, on all facets of the Chinese relationship. The most prevalent one that we are you know, confronting and is impacting us today is the, uh, the China slowdown economically, which comes out of its zero COVID policy, coupled with its common prosperity agenda, right? There's a lot going on with China. And as one of the global economy's growth engines, that being materially materially weaker is going to spill over and affect uh, investor sentiment, we think, uh, into risk assets. Yeah, maybe we could do just a drop more into China. This is going to help me out a little bit. You know, covering tech, I get so many people asking me questions like, what if China just shuts down their markets? Like, you know, so much is made in China, whether, you know, it's from Apple to to everybody else. And, you know, if there's problems, you know, now Taiwan is back in the news. If, If China wants to shut its doors, you know, is that even possible? Is that a risk that we need to worry about? Or is this the broader risk more of what China's GDP is versus true trade tensions between the U.S. and China? 
Yeah. And, you know, never say never. Uh, and, and one of the, the risks always for uh, people in the West is that we try and assume that we know how um, uh, another regime like China is thinking. However, economically, uh, you know, China is dependent right on the West. And so I don't think we're looking at something that's all that dramatic in terms of our economic relationship. You know, there's a uh, a bigger issue going on about how a new world order is going to pit sort of Europe newly, you know, sort of or strengthen those relationships and the U.S. and China, the three big economic engines bumping into one another. And there's going to be jostling uh, that, that takes place. I think that's just um, the normal evolution of things. But, yeah, I think the the worst outcomes that we see you know, in China, again, never say never, but uh, a lot of those things remain in the tail. We do think that, you know, the West is an important partner economically with China. Gotcha. Gotcha. Let's, let's, let's switch up topics just a little bit before we, we dive into some of the weeds. And, you know, what we've been seeing with higher rates, right, is meaningfully slower uh, issuance of both uh, investment grade uh, high yield security as well as leveraged loans, but there's this new sort of market structure. We did a a, uh, a webcast a month or so ago about private credit, but so there's just there's this whole issue of private credit stepping in, direct lending. Um, you know how how do you see market structure changing? Is it just temporary because rates are temporarily higher, or are we seeing some sort of permanent shift? And, and what does that mean for, for spreads? you know, in the intermediate term? Yeah, it, it's something that we've we've thought a lot about here at KBRA. You know, I think the seeds of this, of course, have its roots back in, uh, you know, the leverage lending guideline that came out of the banking regulators, I think back in 2013. Uh, that pushed a lot of riskier credit assets out of the banking system into what we referred to as kind of this new leveraged ecosystem, hmm. which includes CLOs, as you mentioned, direct lending uh, funds, you know, alternative asset manager funds, BDCs, all of this is in place to sort of pick up those assets. And, you know, as we've thought about how it's all evolved up till now, right, CLOs and direct lending are now trillion dollar at or around a trillion dollars in size. They're big. So they're a lot less. They're, they're probably more dependable uh, today than they were, you know, 10 years ago. And net net, we might be and this might all be an improvement rather over uh, a bank based capital market system, which is subject to regulatory shock that triggers credit crunch, right? That we certainly saw graphically back in the GFC. And it was out of that wreckage, I think, that policymakers, uh, again, created this new ecosystem that time will tell about how it will perform. But a lot of this money is locked up long-term money. They've got the ability to work through problem assets on their own pace, as opposed to having a bank regulator in directing uh, workouts. I think this just might be uh, all things considered, an improvement. Um, time will tell. This is the first real test uh, that all of this is going to face. But I think this is an improvement, um, you know, in how the financial system is going to manage all of this. Interestingly, we think about, you know, if we think about Europe, for example, that is still largely a bank-based capital market. So you might have more vulnerability there in a downturn than you do um, certainly in the states. But uh, but I think for what we're looking at. 
I think the credit market here with these risks diffused out of the banking system over a much broader array of investors is an improvement. Gotcha. Um, now talking about, let's get a little bit into high yield and investment grade. You know, high yield issuance is down, what, 75% year to date and sort of like Maverick and the original Top Gun spreads have gone vertical this year. Um, you know, is, 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 is this lack of issuance now because of all these alternative um, uh, sources of funds? Is it because so many companies are in such good shape in the high yield market that they don't need funding? Um, is the market just overreacting to lack of funding or concern about fundamentals? What, what, what is it and how are you thinking about high yield overall? Yeah, you know, and we certainly see a lot of headlines around uh, what's going on um, in high yield. Five straight months of losses, first time that's ever happened, as you manage, or as you mentioned, uh, expectations for issuance is considerably down. Think about, you know, kind of where we are, what kind of environment we're in right now. It's not like, interestingly, um, we're not seeing a material pullback in demand for leveraged assets. It's just that investors are going elsewhere for that, most notably the leveraged loan market, right? Where those are obviously floating rate assets, that fits this environment well. You're up in the capital stack, that fits this environment well. Um, so I think that has where that has been where a lot of the uh, financing has moved along with, as you mentioned, direct lending, right? So I wouldn't read too much into what's going on in high yield. And, and by the way, spreads have just got, even though they've gone vertical, um, they've gotten back to kind of historic norms consistent with other important market benchmarks. So don't read too much uh, into this. I think um, you know, the leveraged finance market is still uh, you know, up operating, um, certainly in this environment where you got a, a more of a risk-off taint uh, than you <laughs> certainly had back in, in 2021. Uh, investors are certainly getting more selective here, but, but markets are still working for sure. Gotcha. Um, so maybe you could walk through a little bit, you know, you, you mentioned earlier, like everyone's sort of in better shape going into this downs, downturn, both consumers um, as well as, as corporates. Um, you know, what sectors are the most vulnerable um, over the next six months if we continue to see a slowdown? Yeah, you know, we're, we're sort of reminded of the old Warren Buffett adage that uh, you know, only when the tide goes out do you discover who is swimming naked. <laughs> so post uh, this extraordinary relief period, um, the tide is definitely going out. And so one of the things that we think a lot about here is the ability for businesses and business models to be able to withstand an environment where technological innovation has clearly gotten pulled forward where you know economic growth is going to return to okay kinds of levels, think about 2% kind of growth, not six, uh, and where markets are going to be more discerning than they were uh, through the pandemic period. So that, those are, are very real normal um, headwinds that I think are part of being at this point in the cycle. So you know we do worry a little bit, and I think you've got to test um, you know, cyclicals ability to sort of power through this. We saw Deere's results uh, on Friday where, you, you know, again, highlighting supply constraints and higher costs and very typical of, of you know, what a cyclical is facing um, in this environment. 
we think about consumer discretionary, right? One of the interesting stories that came out of the Walmart Target releases last week is that investor or rather consumers very much are now feeling the effects of inflation and are now starting to switch either going from brands to generics uh, or spending more on groceries and staples and not buying the higher margin uh, discretionary items. So I think you've got to think through how much demand destruction will actually take place uh, with regard to or in the consumer discretionary space. And then from a credit perspective, we also are very um, focused on the impact of this new environment on lower income consumers, right? An awful lot of American households uh, live paycheck to paycheck. When you start to factor in how much more to fill the gas tank, how much more to fill the grocery basket, uh, that is going to normalize what we see in the consumer lending space. Uh, and, And also it's going to impact um, you know, how much of those lower income uh, strata actually do spend and are there to support economic growth. So those are some of the things I think that, that we think about, uh, you know, as the tide uh, goes out. I'll tell you, I filled up my tank this weekend and um, I actually spent a little bit of extra time driving across the border. I live right on the border of, of Connecticut in, in Westchester. And I drove across the border uh, to see if I can get gas a little bit cheaper uh, and I couldn't. And, you know, 75 bucks to fill up a tank for a reasonably efficient car becomes painful. And, and, and I wonder if that flows through to, you know, just everyday regular prices and shopping, you know, some big name retailers reported, right? Walmart and Target and got absolutely pummeled from an equity side. Um, you know, what does that mean to bondholders? Does it mean anything to bondholders? It's sheer, it's, is, it, is it a valuation perspective like it is in the tech space where, you know, Amazon just can't trade at a, a 50 PE? Or is it really more of a fundamental perspective? You know, it, it's probably both. You're right. I think in the equity market, both saw their largest sell-off since 1987. Now, some of that, again, may have been uh, valuations that uh, were backward looking uh, into that economic environment. And now as we think what's ahead, it's a very different sort of equation. We really don't worry about the credit risk at a Target or a Walmart, but I think they were, those were fascinating releases because they, they are sort of a large swath of the American economy both from a business perspective and a consumer perspective. So from a business perspective, these are large, you know, competitively advantaged institutions that are facing margin pressure. That's very, very real, whether it's supply um, side constraints, whether it's, you know, added costs of holding inventory that they can't move because in consumers preferences are shifting uh, it was a very interesting perspective from how these businesses are going to have to adjust to this this great deceleration. Um, it also was very instructive and, and dovetailing a little bit with my earlier comments here. You know, seventy percent of the U.S. economy is driven by the U.S. consumer and its ability to spend. And what we saw in the Walmart and Target releases was that that consumer might not be as strong or willing to spend uh, because of, of this new environment, you know, to your earlier or in your question was, you know, how does this sort of change behavior? And I think one of the things of one of the realizations of, of pulling away after your $75 
filling of the gas tank is, no matter where you are in the economic spectrum, you sort of say, wow, that left a mark. And it does affect sentiment. It does affect your willingness to take risks, whether you're a consumer looking to spend, an investor looking to invest, or a business looking to expand. These kinds of, of, of shocks, these data points that you encounter day in and day out, absolutely leave a mark behaviorally. And ultimately, that's going to flow into the strength uh, of the U.S. economy. Yeah. Well, I don't want to leave it on a negative mark. So let's maybe it might be a positive here because um, you mentioned this earlier. And let's let's put your 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 bank analyst hat back on year after year after year. You're the top rated II guy on the street. Everyone's coming to you with bank questions. You're around during the financial crisis. That was really somewhat of a house of cards, right? The, the dominoes started, um, you know, with banks with banks failing, and it sort of bled into to everything else. So, you know, where are banks now? Is that is are, are they meaningfully better positioned than they were? Um, are they only mildly better positioned than they were? And if banks are not the ones to, you know, start this domino effect, you know, what, what should we be looking out um, for that might? And, um, or is it a call maybe that you don't ever see the dominoes falling and this sort of the new, new normal just becomes, let's go back to a little bit of a slower growth rate. Yeah. So we start with the sort of the bank part of that. We, you know, instinctively should be worried uh, about banks anytime we're headed into an economic downturn, right? Banks are turbo cyclicals. And so we watch uh, that loan loss provision line, the money they set aside for future loan losses. And we look for that as a guide as to what might be happening. That number, that line item is very, very well behaved today. Um, and remember, it's a forward look from the bank. So it's not like they're just sort of saying, well, all right, default rates were incredibly low on the consumer side, the commercial side, you know, over the last 12 to 24 months. So therefore, you know, I don't have to build reserves. No, banks have to set aside money for future loan losses. And and so again, we watch that loan loss provision line pretty closely for a guide into the, the strength of the consumer and commercial sectors. And that has been very, very well behaved. So from that perspective, we actually feel pretty good about the banks. And as we mentioned earlier, a lot of the risk that uh, that the banks used to take because they were at the center of sort of the financial system in the U.S., um, certainly leading up to the GFC, a lot of the, the excesses that were out there in the environment and in markets found their way onto bank balance sheets uh, in 2006, you know, 7, and 8. It's very, very different today, right? Bank balance sheets have, again, a lot of that risk has been pushed out into the capital markets. So we feel like banks here are not going to behave as the turbo cyclicals going forward that they might have been in the past. Now, you know, how much money, you know, can they make um, is another sort of question because you're looking for loan growth, you're looking for a steeper yield curve, all the kinds of things that typically drive bank earnings, you know, might not be optimal here. Maybe that's an equity or a shareholder uh, you know, question or burden that they're going to have to bear. But from a credit perspective, we really care about the loan loss provision, and that line looks pretty good right now. You know, broad, more broadly speaking, you know, where do we, you know, what are we watching? You know, what are the kinds of things that would, would give us concern? I think we've got to worry about, you know, some of those bigger, uh, you know, 
themes that are out there, you know, the, the slowing growth, the higher inflation, an unexpected geopolitical development, those are the kinds of things, those risks are very prevalent. They're out there. People watch them closely. I think that's really where um, our attention is. Um, it's not where we really used to look was, you know, the banks used to be a pretty good bellwether for what the future looks like, but that suggests that we're, we're in okay shape at this point. We covered a lot. That was awesome stuff. I wish I could do this with you every day. It'd be a lot smarter. <laughs> uh, always a pleasure, Rob. It's, it's, yeah. uh, it's great to catch up. Well, listen, everyone out there, if you're not reading Van Hesser's stuff or listening to his weekly podcast, it's pretty obvious. Uh, you should. Uh, if you need to get in contact with him, feel free to, to reach out to me and I'll get you his, his contact info. Again, thank you enough, Van, for, for joining us today, uh, as well as the audience for listening. Um, as always, if you need anything from our team, feel free to reach out directly or simply access the credit research dashboard at B-I-C-R-E-D. Stay happy and healthy. Until next month, may your longs be tighter and your shorts wider. Bye-bye.